With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Shaquille O'Neal. Do you ever scream at your printer, call it naughty names, or hurl empty ink cartridges across the room? You likely suffer from cartridge conniptions caused by ink cartridges constantly running out of ink. Thankfully, the Epson EcoTank printer is the perfect cure. It's cartridge-free, conniption-free, prescription-free, with big ink tanks and a ridiculous amount of ink. So you can finally kiss expensive cartridges goodbye. The Epson EcoTank, just fill and chill. Available at Epson.com. everybody. Um, my name is Paul John Dykes and because it's 22 minutes past four on a Saturday afternoon we decided to do an impromptu Celtic State of Mind bulletin. Uh, Kevin Graham is top left, bottom left, Kevin McCluskey, bottom right, Tony Haggerty. There's loads to talk about. The reason that we're dialing in today isn't because we've got a massive announcement, uh, unfortunately, although there might be one next week, not from Axom. It's because what we're going to be doing from time to time and hopefully once a week is we're going to have a bulletin 
where we invite Axon listeners onto the show. We won't be doing it live for obvious reasons, um, but there was a few signal issues with our friend who was going to be the first Axon contributor um, going from the terraces to the football park to talk Celtic. Uh, so we decided, because we were all here anyway, recording that show, that we would just do an impromptu live because some of us haven't had the opportunity to talk about Thursday night. And of course, there is a big game tomorrow as well. I'm going to come to yourself first. Kevin Graham, you covered the game for Axel on Thursday. You allowed me to go to the game. Thank you very much uh, by covering mm. the match day coverage. You've had a few days to digest that, watch the highlights, see the social media reaction to the, the 4 nothing defeat. How would you sum it up now, looking back? I think when you're doing the post-match, as you know yourself, Paul, sometimes it can be extremely difficult to try and get a handle on things and... Uh, Obviously, on paper, it's a four nothing bleaching, and and your and and your take is based on that. Basically, it's four nothing. When we check the Celtic wiki in twenty years' time for whatever we're writing, that's still going to be there as four nothing. And it doesn't really matter how many chances that we had, how many chances that we created, the bad luck, bad position, and whatever. It's still going to be down as a four nothing. Eh? So you've really got to touch on that. I, I, I think over. But yesterday morning, I was more sort of ruin the the, the missed chances. Mm. Not that would not that it would maybe made us win the game, but I was just be interested to see what would have happened if we would have scored either first or just after half time. I would like to have seen the mentality of the team because we are very very weak mentally, and I think that's the pro one of the one of the major problems. Also, another one of the major problems is we just haven't got the players to, to play what Ange Postacoglu wants us to play, especially at that level against a, 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 a decent decent German German side. Eh? And it's very difficult to be harsh on some of the players. Um, and I don't think we were too harsh on Thursday night on some of the players. Uh, and I'm probably more calm about it now that I do know that this is... I mean, well, let's face it, in the summer... In, in the summer, the boss says this is a major, major rebuild. And I think we maybe got a wee bit too excited over the early performances, maybe when it clicked for a couple of weeks. And we, have, we thought everything was great, everything had moved on. And I think we've just had a large dose of reality that we could be one, two, maybe three years away from even well, no, no challenging, but where I want to be in Europe. I, I can sit here and safely say, that I'll see Celtic win a league again, uh, win a league again. But I want to see Celtic in a European final again, eh? And mm. we're years and years away from that, eh? Well, a couple of points for that, Kev. When you're talking about a rebuild, I look at that and say, right, the rebuild isn't primarily on the football field. The rebuild no, no. is a restructure behind the scenes to put things in place that will allow you to approach things like European competitions in a stronger position. So if you're restructuring, you're not restructuring to dominate Scottish football or win the Scottish League. No. A rebuild or a, a transfer window, um, if done properly and effectively with the right guy in charge, can do that. You can win the Scottish League if you're good enough in the, the transfer market and you've got the right people in the football department. So I always see the rebuild 
and the restructure working hand in hand. So the rebuild of a football side who dominated Scottish football for nine years before faltering at the last hurdle and not winning the 10. I don't think that it was um, you know, too unrealistic to believe that that could be done this season. And I think that people are saying, oh, you need a reality check because this was always a massive rebuild. I think, yes, a massive rebuild of the club in a structural sense if you want to progress and develop as a football club in Europe. But domestically, I don't think that it was unrealistic to think that we could win the league this season. However, the way that uh, obviously we've got the new man in charge who is very fixed in his views about how his team will play and doesn't seem to, if you're going to go by his post-match comments, Tony Haggerty, doesn't seem to be prepared to come away from that one and only approach. Then you start asking yourself how long that would take because then you're saying, well, in order for him to get the right players in, like Kev says, we don't have the right players to play the system. So in order to get the right players in, it will take several transfer windows. And then you start thinking back, and I know you touched on it yesterday, Tony, with uh, Jared Hill, from Celts Down Under, where he's talking about historically it taking time for Angie's system to kick in because he needs to get the right personnel in. So I think you're working two ways here. It's a two-pronged thing. You can restructure and completely rebuild the club so that it can develop on a European stage, but you still should be able to take care of business at home. Domestically, you should be winning football matches. You're the richest club in the country. You have better players than every team in the league. Or you should have. But I agree with Kevin. Uh, we just don't have the personnel and the players to play Angie's system. The results tell you that, don't they? We only need to look at the results. We are not even at Halloween and Celtic are talking about must win games. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow's a must win. And if he doesn't, if Angie doesn't win, then the pressure is only going to intensify. And that's because we are not care- taking care of business domestically. You are allowed to transition and rebuild whilst winning football matches. You know, other Celtic managers have faced the same problems and still won football matches. Celtic could go, what, seventh in the table tomorrow if they lose, Mm -hmm. I believe. You know, so that tells its own story. Yeah, and I'm like Kevin as well. I would love to see Celtic reach another European final, but we are miles and miles and miles off of that. No, and I think this is it an unrealistic expectation to expect Angie's team to compete and win the title this season? I don't really think so. And see if you're saying right off, it's the bigger picture. Well, the bigger picture for me in that is that your rivals will then claim forty million pounds and will big and sorry and will become bigger and better. And your rivals are already better than you because they are they're the champions. So you could strap yourself in for a few years of not winning the league. This is all dependent on scrap the first year, he wins the title in the second year. What if he doesn't? It's all built on that premise. Mm. He did it in the the A-League and he did it in the J-League. Is he going to do that in Scotland? Is he going to get the time to do that in Scotland? I would conjecture not if results continue the way they are. That's not being negative towards Ange. That's just a healthy dose of realism. You're commenting on this, what's happening. And at this moment in time, Celtic have won two out of the last eight matches. That's quite a sobering statistic. It is, it is, Tony. And, you know, we do get 
and this is an impromptu bulletin, so I'm, I'm guessing there won't be as many live viewers on the show, but people will catch up later on all the various channels. Um, and if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe because we are building the channel on uh, YouTube and we're building our subscribers. But see, when, when you're talking to Celtic fans, be that at the game or collectively within this group um, or bringing in the comments, and people are saying that it was unrealistic, Let's go back a wee while, and I'm going to throw this one to Kevin McCluskey. Um, go back to a stage where, let's say, Ronnie Dyler's left the building. Uh, there is a rebuild of sorts due to the fact that, uh, obviously, we win the league that season. We don't have that same challenge that we do now, because, obviously, we are now the challengers. But um, at that stage, we needed massive change in terms of the football department. So when somebody comes in, in Brendan Rodgers... And you look at the the game where we've, we've gone the entire season invincible and we beat Aberdeen in the Scottish Cup final. And everybody will remember it. And, and a, an incredible occasion and achievement. And you look at the actual side in the personnel and you look at how many of them had been there the previous season under Ronnie Dyler. Then what you can see is an incredible sea change depending on the person who's in charge of a football club. So, yeah, we need a massive rebuild. Yes, it's different from the dialer to Rogers transition. Of course it is. But I don't think that we should be accepting of the fact that we're sitting sixth or potentially, as Tony says, seventh in the table at this stage. And it's not hysteria. It's not knee-jerk. It's not entitlement. It's basically looking at the facts because there is no... It's almost like, yeah, but it's okay because by the second season, it'll be fine. There is no guarantee... And I don't think we can put all our eggs in the basket that it will turn around because let's remember, and this is something we need to discuss as well, Kevin McCluskey, the players that have come in, the 12 players that have come in, they were not all identified by Ange to fit his system. Now, people might say, oh, that's you speculating again. Tell me, prove to me otherwise that Ange Postacoglu identified those 12 players to play his system because there's absolutely no chance. So if every transfer window, he's getting one player. It's going to take longer than two or three transfer windows if he doesn't change what he's doing at the moment, Kev. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the last point there about the, the the players that have come in, there's absolutely no way that Ange has kind of signed off or or signed all those players off his own back. The one big example being somebody like Carol Staffel, who's not an Ange type defender. He's not comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's kind of admitted that he doesn't like to play out from the back. But that's what Ange wants from a centre-back. Uh, I think I think a back-in, Starfelt is a player, but he's a basic centre-back who can go and win a ball and then give it to the one player who's in front of him to allow him to play. But he's, he doesn't fit um, Ange's system. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. That there's, there's a lot of signings that have come in that don't fit his way. If you hire somebody like Buster Coglu, who's got find style, you've got to let him pick his backroom staff. You've got to let him pick the players that are going to come in and fit that. Otherwise, you're in a situation that you're in just now where, like Tony says, lose tomorrow and we're in seventh place. That's unacceptable for Celtic. 100% it's unacceptable. Now, we're going about a system. We've used it in a tagline. Kevin Graham... What is Angie's mm-hmm. system? We, obviously, leading up to this season, 
we spoke to Alan Morrison, who had done some work on the, the, the numbers behind Angie's success. We spoke to Jarrett Hill, who had and has good knowledge of Angie's career in Australia. And we spoke to Dan Orowitz, who had seen his most recent tenure over in Japan. Dan is a journalist for the Japan Times. Tell me, Kev, what is Angie's system? What is the system that we're talking about? What do you see it as being from everything that Anne just said and from everything that you've seen? What is the system? I see it as a kind of system which is quite fancy, which is quite often used now in Italy of all places, uh, which was which was known for the, the catenaccio and that. It's a high press attacking, but it needs certain players with an energy to actually do it. Um, also, as well, also as well that. You see, you see it a lot in the games uh, that you watch all over Europe that a lot of the defenders, it's last-ditch defending and stuff like that. I'm not really into... I, I, I can't describe it. There'll be some do it there that can describe the football better than me. Um, I, I just see it as coming... having a go. Being being quite modern in the philosophy, being quite modern in the, the way, like, using sports science and stuff like that. The way... It's actually just a... It's a system that... Um, it's a system that us in Scotland actually probably are a bit snobby about and go, that'll never work here. And I think that's coming through with quite a lot of... A lot of the Celtic fans that are, are like... You saw the comment, you see the comments after the... Every game now, that, that's a defeat. Eh? And I, I don't I don't know, maybe he, he maybe isn't the man to implement it, eh? but I really do fear if we, if we want to modernise a football club then this board who, as you rightly say, Paul, we had a quadruple treble, uh, we had nine titles in a row. I don't think this board actually believed that they've done anything wrong. I don't believe, I don't, I don't think this board believed that they've done anything wrong with appointing Neil Lennon. I don't think this board want to change and I think you can actually see, um, I, 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 think you, I, I think you can actually see the fact as brother Kevin mentioned, he hasn't got his own backroom staff. They're not fully committed, and I don't believe the supporters are fully committed either. Eh? And and this is this if Postacoglu like I says last week, I says on Wednesday when I was looking around the stadium, leaving the stadium after the one each draw with Dundee United, which was an awful game by the way. I saw nothing. I saw no attacking football whatsoever. I saw I saw no bright future. I saw no like I saw nothing what was promised. That the the. the the, the attacking football that were promised. I saw none of the football that, that we saw against Dundee and St Mum. I saw none of that. And I just reckoned, I just had a look around the whole stadium and I went, we're not fully on board with us. This could, this could be the right man at the wrong time or just the wrong man, the wrong man at the wrong time. I do not know. I, we can't say that until there's a full stop at the end of the Postacoglu era. Mm. I, says, I says at the start of the season as well that... I didn't want to judge Ange by one season. I want to be in five years' time going, Ange Postacoglu was the right decision for Celtic. And I don't know... I've used, I've used this term quite a lot over the last couple of days. I don't think us, as a support on the whole, have got a stomach to actually have like this state of flux and inconsistency that we're in. I don't know why that is. Maybe last year's completely mentally drained us of any sort of any sort of like 
realism or capacity for some adversity. Uh, Tony Tony says that we were the richest club in Scotland. Well, I struggle to see how we behave like the richest club in Scotland, and I struggle to see how we behave as a big club. I mean, I read some Australian journalist there, he's going, Celtic fans have got a big club mentality. And it got me thinking, I'm going, why should we have a big club mentality when we're running like a bowling club? <laughs> I mean, the only thing, the thing that's big about Celtic is the support, because otherwise we're not run as a big football club. Eh? And I think we're actually seeing that. And I think from... 110 days, no appointing Lennon to where we are now. We are, we actually are where we deserve to be, and uh, we just need to sit and suck it up and hope something changes. Well, I'm going to ask um, around because I, I, I asked you quite frankly, what is the system? I think sometimes, Kev, I don't even think it is snobbery, mate. I really don't. And I made a joke last season about the catharification of football and all this stuff. And people said, ah, Paul doesn't believe in data analysis. Of course I do. I believe in progressive sport, not just football, and everything you can do to progress and improve the performance has to be embraced. I, I totally am on board with that. But sometimes I think that, for example, and the reason I brought up Ronnie Dyle, I remember a game at home I think it was against Jackie McNamara's Dundee United. Kev, correct me if I'm wrong. And I think we won 6-2 and Berge scored a couple of goals. You remember that performance? And it was free-flowing and, and all the rest of it and rip-roaring and all these things that seem like a distant memory, Tony. Um, and I remember afterwards John Collins talking about the tempo and all this. Remember, and it became almost a meme of John Collins, right? The high press and the tempo. And these terms... As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Start to filter in to the vocabulary of every football fan sooner rather than later. But if you want to go right back to, Kevin mentioned the Catanaccio. Catanaccio basics is the doorbell. It's the back door being locked. There might be somebody who can speak fluent Italy who'll give me the exact um, translation of that. But basically, that's what it means. Your back door's locked. It's a door bolt. And Jockstein had studied Hungarian football, Kevin McCluskey, over in Hungary, in the great uh, Hungarian sides of the 1950s, wasn't it? And he had a video of their emphatic victory against Edinburgh, uh, Edinburgh against England, um, that he continually watched that game back over and over and over again. And that was an entertaining, high-tempo style of football in the 1950s, which he was able to implement in the 1960s when he finally got the job at Celtic. And he was able to defeat the Catanaccio. So, but football systems have been around since back then, the 1950s, the 60s, and so on. It's nothing new. And it's quite clear that Ange Postecoglou has a system in mind now, if it was a long-term project, and Kevin, I agree with you, I don't think the board have completely bought in. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sitting there with one signing to his name and no backroom team. They've not bought into the Ange Postecoglou um, system at all. Otherwise, that wouldn't be the that wouldn't be the case. I think what we've got is a situation where. If he's a long-term view, what is long-term in today's game? I don't even know. Is it three? Is it five years? If he's a he's a long-term appointment then year number one, if you don't have a high percentage of players who can play your system, should never have been 
you're going to play my system anyway. Because it's clear to anybody that that's not going to work because you don't have the players to fit in. So I'm going to explain what I think um, is Angie's system. And you can agree, disagree, throw in your comments, and I will go over to the comments. The high tempo, high press, right, to, to coin John Collins's uh, meme from back in those days. Yeah, I think he does want to do that. So the high press is playing most of your football, I would guess, right up in the final third. And obviously through your um, your high tempo uh, passing drills, etc., you're able to break down these defences. That's fine. And one of the ways that he's done that is he's got these inverted fullbacks and obviously Montgomery and Ralston are currently playing that position. Now, in order for that to work, and I'm going back to Alan Morrison's Celtic by Numbers podcast that we did in the pre-season, you need those players who are up that end of the park to be particularly good at the attacking to defensive transition. They need to be able to win the ball back a la Ryan Christie, who was probably the best modern Celtic player at winning a ball back uh, when the attack is turning into a defensive transition. Right. One player who couldn't do it for Celtic, for example, was Jeremy Frimpong. You very rarely seen him winning the ball back once the, the, the attack broke down. Yota and Abada don't do that. That's no part of their game. They're absolutely fantastic, entertaining footballers who, when they're on form, and you've seen it the other night with Yota in particular, they're absolutely breathtaking footballers to watch and they're entertaining and they're high tempo and all this stuff. But if you're going to be playing your, your game in the final third or the opposition's part, once that attack breaks down, and invariably it does break down, you've not got the defensive qualities in Yota or Abada. You don't have the offense, the, the defensive qualities or the energy in Turnbull and, and Rogic. You've got two inverted fullbacks who are so out of position, you've got two flanks behind them, and you're leaving the two centre-halves exposed. That's how I see Angie's system. So all the good stuff that you see, and if you watch the highlights package of that game the other night, what you'll see is a tremendous couple of chances for Kyogo. You'll see a chance that Yota probably should have put away. You know, the, it looks brilliant if you look at the highlights reel. But in reality, once they break down, we can't actually recover from that quickly enough because we don't have the players who have the defensive qualities or the energy to actually break down the attacks of a team of the quality of Leverkusen. If you're playing Dundee, newly promoted or St Mirren at home, probably do have the, the players that can do that because they don't have the same attacking qualities. And that's how I see Angie's side. Now, if you're going to line up, and I asked the question on Twitter the other day, how many players do we actually have that can fit the system? The highest number I got from anybody who commented on that tweet was five. If you've got five players that can fit your system, you can't play the system. I'm going to throw that over to you, Tony. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to flip something that I said about Neil Lennon. We now have a digital manager working with an analogue board and analogue players. Isn't it? That's that's what we've got now. Whereas I say to about Neil Lennon, he was an analogue manager in a digital world. Only Celtic could do it the other way about now. We have a digital man manager who's working with an analogue board and some analogue footballers, because you've just described them there. And, and that's why the system's not working. So what do you do? You either back this guy to get his men in. And that's most telling for me that Andrew's not been allowed to bring in his back in team. That tells me that the Celtic boards are hedging their bets with this guy. And they're not convinced about Ange and the future, which is unfair on Ange 
himself. And if you say that he hasn't brought in all of those players, the one player he has brought in is Kyogo. So by that rule of thumb, he can identify a footballer. That is definitely his signing because he brought in a player, as Laura said yesterday, that he didn't actually coach or manage but knew he could do a job for Celtic. Mm-hmm. So you have to trust that judgment then. The, only, the Celtic board can nail this. I wrote about it today and all sorts of comments, but they can nail this right now and just say, right, we're going with this guy. This is what's going to happen. You know, and they can throw every resource at him and let him bring in his trusted lieutenant for a number two and A another if he wants another on the, his coaching staff. You know, so how can a system work when you don't have the players to carry it out, yet you're persevering with it? And if you persevere with it, the results will continue like the way they are just now. It just seems, again, I wrote about it today, it just seems that, that, that as I said, the, the Einstein theory definition of insanity, doesn't it? Doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. That's what that was attributed to Einstein. And that's what Andrew's doing just now because he hasn't had that backing to bring in those players that he wants by the board. So there's there's, there's blame attachment all over the place here. It's all there's many issues here, you know. But part of the the rebuild, reboot, transition, call it what you like, you have to do things in stages and do it properly. Mm-hmm. Bring in the right players, you can play that system. If you don't bring in the right players, you can't play that system. The system that you spoke so eloquently about, you know. And we we try and do it against a team of buyer labour fusions quality. They're second in the Bundesliga to buy a minute. They trail them by three points. And they've got a proper manager in place with that. Yeah, they will be there with or that, yeah. in the Europa League. Probably it'll take a really good side to beat them. And at time, well, they're playing Bayern Munich tomorrow. Or, or today, and tomorrow it'll be. And at times you thought they were, they were pretty in control, weren't they? they? They knew all about game management and what to do. Once yeah. they went 2 0 up, they controlled that football match. Celtic had chances, as you say, moments in the match, but they were well in control. And I will, I felt that if Celtic scored, they could have gone through the gears. Could be wrong in that, but that that's that's what I watched the other night. I watched a quality team in control at all times. Well, let me pick up on a couple of the points, Tony, because obviously we spoke about it on the night. And there was a couple of points I made to yourself, and I thought to my, you know, um, I thought to myself, it's it's worth bringing them up on the podcast to see uh, what the viewers think as well. But what I was going to say is they've got a proper manager in place of a pedigree who you would hope Celtic would seriously consider. Now, we're at a stage where um, Gerardo Swan would now be out of our reach, but. Um, you know, I was advised from a very good source that he was sounded out about this job last season uh, when he was, you know, the young boys manager. And he'd done so well uh, there as well. So, you know, you go from that calibre and you see what he's going to do and, and, and invariably he'll take uh, Bayer Leverkusen to some great success, I'm sure. Game management. Now, we've spoken about this before. We've spoken about it. I think uh, Real Betis was a as an example of that. Uh, we took the lead twice against Mitchelland. Obviously, the first time is very difficult when one of your most experienced players gets sent off for being completely stupid. 
But the second one is about game management. Real Betis is a game, game management. I'm watching the game sitting next to you, Tony, on Thursday night. And what I saw, and this take th- th- this actually explains the game management by Bayer Leverkusen, but also is another part of the structure in this system that, that Ange has. Joe Hart's got the ball and he gives it to Montgomery or Starfield. It goes to Montgomery. And then there's a, an inverted horseshoe, like a garland effect, where it goes from Montgomery back to Starfield to Cameron, uh, Carter Vickers, and then on to Ralston, sometimes back part. And that's something that we are using as part of the system because we don't want to hit the channels for some strange reason. We don't want to hit the flanks, right? I know that a diagonal pass is something that's very difficult um, to pull off, but we do have players who can do it. You know, one player who is very good at it, who wasn't playing the other night, is Stephen Welsh. Another player is actually Ralston. His diagonal passes uh, deep into the final third are particularly good. And he, there was a couple of occasions where he did try it in the, in the kind of latter part of the game. So we don't seem prepared to play that diagonal pass in front of Abada and Yota. Abada and Yota spent half the, half the game facing their own manager, uh, their own goalie, sorry. Right, so the Bayer Leverkusen players are on the front foot constantly. They're never being put on the back foot, and we're just playing this horseshoe back and forward across the defenders. Now, Bayer Leverkusen let us do it, so that's game management. There, they're letting us do that because we're going nowhere. McGregor is an out ball; he's marked. Kyogo's an out ball. Mark two wingers are marked. Turnbull and Rodrik are marked. We're going nowhere. We're going absolutely nowhere. And then what you see happening is the ball comes to Joe Hart's feet and the player who's sitting on McGregor starts to rush Joe Hart. He starts to rush Joe Hart and Joe Hart has one option because he can't play it to his defenders because by a level because they're now pushing forward. He needs to try and give it to McGregor. That's a harder pass because he's got a sea bodies in front of him and invariably we lose possession. There was an occasion the other night where Joe Hart had the ball at his feet and he didn't even know what to do with it. He seriously didn't know what his outball was because it's been drummed into him that there's a system. And that system means you don't play it long, you don't play the diagonal pass. One of the times that we did it the other night was Carter Vickers. He played an old-fashioned through ball and Kyogo should have scored. And that was one of the best chances of the night because he broke the system. Now, what you then get a situation of is Joe Hart doesn't know what to do with the ball. Centre-halves are playing the ball across the face of their own goal. How often have we seen that this season? David Turnbull's picking the ball up a yard from his touchline and he hesitates. Now, nobody knows what's gone through his mind. Is it because he's been told to pass the ball out of defence? Because it looked as though he hesitated because he, he didn't want to just put his toe through it. Out the park or up the park, he hesitates, they get the opening goal. And the whole game plan is completely rifled because we're going... The otherwise are going against Angie's game plan. Is it as simple as that, Kevin McCluskey? Are we playing a, a system that when it doesn't work, we need to have a contingency, we need to have a plan B, and sometimes it's a, a, a pass like Carter Vickers to Kyogo, and he almost scores. That was one of the first occasions that Bayer Leverkusen were on the back foot. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The black line, the stretched, yet we never done it enough. Right. It's like Tony's just said, there's a lot to digest in these last few minutes since I last spoke there, but... It's like what we said about the Einstein quote there. You would be trying the same thing over and over again and we're getting the same result, which is result, no end product from it. Every now and again, the players, I think, have got to be more accountable on the pitch and just make make their own decision, make an individual decision on something. It's not always about sticking with the system. We all want a, a nice, short play. We want to be direct and take the game forward in an attractive way. But if it's not the option that's on, you've got to go along every now and again, and you will get success from it. You'll mix it up, you'll put the the opposition on the back foot. Um, but yeah, we just don't seem to have a plan B, which seems, again, it was an act of folly, really. If one way isn't working, you need to have another option. You would do that in every other walk of life. You'd always have a plan B to fall back on. Um, so... Like as much as we all want to see Angie's system work, this free flow in football, when it doesn't, there has to be another option. And it might be that somebody like Jack Marcus can be the other option if he's a more fickle option up front and we've just not had him. But even in the games that we've had just now, we can mix it around a little bit more and we haven't been doing it. Um, and we're basically getting everything that we deserve by not being willing to adapt and to change. I think one of the biggest examples, and I'm keen to bring in some of the comments, one of the biggest examples is in order to play this system that Ange is implementing at Celtic, you need high energy in the midfield. And we've got, if everybody's fit, McGregor, Turnbull and Rogic in the 6, 8 and 10. There's only one high energy player out of the three. And, and I've, I've said sometimes it sounds simple, but how on earth could you play Turnbull and Rogic in the same side when two of them aren't befitting of the system. You might get away with one luxury player because you think to yourself, seeing a final third, he can score from nothing. You know, Turnbull can score a long-range effort. Roger can give you a bit of magic. So it's worth having him up there, but you can't get away with having two of them. I'm going to throw this to Kevin Graham in just a moment, but a shout-out to Joseph Tom. Any relation to Andreas? Joseph, hi, guys. Good to see you. I'm normally working, so don't see it live. So please give me a mention. Well, there it is. And hail, hail to you as well, Steve McGonagall. You were the first commenter of today. And Willie, any spares for Aberdeen? I live here. Easy meat. Um, okay, well, anybody who does have any spares, uh, get in touch with Willie. And uh, I'm sure he will be very grateful. So, Kevin, you know, sometimes people say, it's a wee bit more complicated than that. Can Turnbull and Rogic effectively play in the same team whilst trying to implement the system that Ange um, has asserted he's not going to change? I think it's been proved not. Um, I think it has been proved not. And uh, 
Especially, especially when you play a team of the quality of Leverkusen, and you, you saw it last week, and uh, Tumble and Rogic against Livingston were poor, against Dundee United were poor. Both of them are just looking, it's a crisis of confidence, I think, the Turnbull. I think that was proved when he kicked the turf the other night. Then he tried too hard to get himself back into the game, which is something that you should never do. You should just say, right, I've done that, take a deep breath and like move on move, move on from it because there was still 60 minutes of the game left to make amends. It's not as if it's a, the, the final minute or anything like that. I don't think they do. I, I said to you yesterday, Paul, we need freestand pet-offs in the middle of that park who can do everything that a midfielder can do we've only got one at the moment and that's Callum McGregor but mm-hmm. we need two we need two players of the mould of Stan Petros alongside them that are able to go box to box able to create and able to score goals and if we don't get that in the next transfer window then Ange is definitely going to be struggling really going to be struggling unless Liam Shaw or somebody is going to appear from nowhere and turn out to be that player I've always says the Joe Ledley type. Ah, even Joe Ledley. I've, yeah. all, I've, all, I've always says that I see the midfield three as being uh, McCarthy, McGregor, and a another. Once both of them get up to speed, yeah. once McCarthy and McGregor get back up to speed. When I was looking at the op, the, the, op, the lack of options that we've got in the middle of the park. Because this is the engine room, Kev. This is the engine room. And you've got you've got Turnbull and Rogic in an engine room. They're not they're not built for that. No, no, definitely not. And as you rightly point out, for all our badders and yachts plus points, one of their negative points is they didn't come back. So that puts more pressure on your two sort of wideish midfielders to be able to actually cover defensively as well. And McGregor and Turnbull and Rogic just haven't got it. And I think that's been proved over over the last since, since the international break, really, it's quite weird. Eh? I was having a, I was having a look at the fixtures we had between those inter, between the, the international break starting and the next international break. I, I says I'll, I'll break it down into a bite size and have a look to see what we're going to do. Kyogo gets injured, McGregor gets injured, and I'm going. I think I think we've still got enough to actually get full points in the league, and here we are sitting here. The way the results have went, the more we're actually playing to stay in six, the more that, that's, that is utterly bizarre. And uh, I find it quite amusing. Eh? <laughs> I probably shouldn't, but I do. But I find it quite amusing that we're actually playing to stay in six, six place tomorrow. It's so, very, very poor. It's, it is concerning. And after tomorrow's game, and this leads into tomorrow's game, because we're talking about changes that can be made to... Uh, better fit a system that Ange refuses to change. I mean, if he sticks by his comments after the game, he's not going to change his approach. Um, We're getting told uh, in some quarters to trust the process. Is that this season's keep the faith, Tony Haggerty? Well, I tell you what, uh, you're up up against an engine room tomorrow that's going to be Scott Brown and Lewis Ferguson. And I ask Celtic supporters, who would they rather have in their midfield? Scott Brown and Lewis Ferguson or Tumble and Rogic? There's a question for you. You know, mm. and uh, yeah, trust the process, keep the faith. Uh-huh. That's that's one of the, I mean, how long do you go on trusting the process? You know, keep the faith. So I've always been there. The same supporters always say that. But how, how long do you trust? When, when, when does the process start then? <laughs> when does it kick in? 
because it's not kicked in yet, has it? Because as Kevin said, we are stay, we are fighting. You stay sixth in the table tomorrow. That's incredible. The the what, what you say is Paul about the Leverkusen manager being spoke to, and you're going, why would he come to a football club when you actually see how we're run? So folk would just take a look under their bonnet and go, I'm Ofsky. Eddie Howe obviously done it. Mm-hmm. There was something about Eddie Howe going, everybody says, I ah, bottled it, this and that. But then the, the way the way that the Ange transitions actually happened, you're now going, would you, would, would any manager worth his salt? That, that manager's got the choice of Leverkusen or uh, Celtic. He's having a look at Leverkusen and he's got all the tools to do his job. Mm-hmm. He, he's having a look at Celtic and going, I don't actually care if I'm going to get any tools to do my job there. And... Mm-hmm. German football, German football is one of the strongest leagues in Europe, Kevin. I know, so I know that. I know that. I'm, very attractive as well. So, total no-brainer. You know, so you would go to Leverkusen over Celtic every day of the week. Of course, you would. I think with a manager like that, timing has to be impeccable. You need to get him at that point where he's showing the promise uh, when he's at Young Boys rather than getting them into the group stages of the Champions League because by that point, the whole uh, Europe are aware of him, Tony, if you know, uh, the, the top league clubs will be looking to to bring him in. And it's, it's all about timing with a gaffer like that. And, you know, quite frankly, he'll be way out of our way out of our um, scope now. But it's what we've been talking about since like early last season. Masquerading as a big club, that big club mentality. You know, we don't have it. That, you know, we should have people watching managers and players from all these clubs in Europe and just keeping tabs on them. And you say, sounded out. How, how did that manifest itself? Was it a real meeting? Did they go and see him or was it a third party saying, look, would you be interested in that? You know, you, you like, if you're going to conduct business like that with a manager like that, you do it properly. You make this club something that they can't say no to. You know, that's how you conduct business. That's how you go and get a manager like that. You know, that's how you, you court them, you win them, you sell Celtic to them. You know, because not, you know, we think that Celtic is the be all and end all. It's not to these kind of guys. But it is an attractive proposition if, if packaged properly. Yeah, you know, and I'm going to take something you said there, Tony. You know, um, sell Celtic to them because it leads me on to my next question, and it does it does um, feed into a lot of the points that have been made. Who sold Celtic to Ange Postecoglou? Kevin McCluskey, I'll come to you first. You've had a wee bit of time to think <laughs> since the last time you contributed on the show. Uh, the passions are there for everybody to see. We're all feeling the same at the minute. Who sold Celtic to Ange Postecoglou? Because if it was the uh, outgoing, departed CEO, then I've got even bigger concerns. If he was the man, if he was the ally, and that ally is no longer in the building, I've got even bigger concerns because if we already weren't all in on Ange Postecoglou in terms of giving him his staff, giving him a wee bit more, you're never going to get autonomy at a club like Celtic, but giving him a wee bit more leeway in terms of the incoming players. And that guy was Dominic McKay and he's no longer there. I've got even bigger concerns for the future of Ange. What's your thoughts on that, Kevin? Yeah, um, I mean, I can only go on probably little bits of information here and there, but it seems like 
Um, Dom Mackay was the guy that went out and got Ange. He was his pick after Eddie Howe fell by the wayside. So I've got a lot of concerns as well with that, that if, if Ange is Dom's man and Dom's not there anymore, Ange has got no one to fall back on when things aren't going well. And it seems that that is the case because he clearly hasn't been backed to bring in his players in the transfer window. The midfield is probably the the, the, the pinnacle of that, the, the point that absolutely proves it because, like he said, there's no... There's no energy in that midfield at all, which you need for that system. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not been backed that way. He hasn't been backed in the backroom department. He's got no coaches that are his. I very much doubt any of the sort of sports science guys that have come in or sports nutritionists will have been his appointment. It seems like all that's going on over his head. Strachan's come in as, um, what's he, a technical consultant or whatever he is. That wasn't an Ange appointment. So I, there's a lot of worries on that. that if, if Ange was appointing Dom Mackay, he's got no allies left. And if it's not going well, and they decide to kind of end the project, where do we go? And that prospect is, is not exactly one that's going to fill anyone with any joy. No. No, and there will be an emergency broadcast for anybody who's wondering if, if if there are any developments in that respect. But I think that through time, Kev, Kev's getting so stressed out with the situation, the heart's almost hanging off. Um, Kevin, through time, you look like the guy at the DMS. Um, we've got a situation where there are a lot of people behind the scenes who have been coasting it because, uh, love them or loathe them, Peter Lowell was a huge... A colossal figure at Celtic for many, many years who ensured that a lot of things were done and to such a degree that he was probably uh, imposing himself in other departments and other fields and other people's roles so that they got to a point where a lot of the things they should have been doing, they never were doing it because Peter Lowell controlled it. Um, And it always frustrates me to think that we are operating in a small pool so if you're thinking about staff, for example, um, and Anton McElhone, who Kevin McCluskey mentioned earlier in terms of the, the head of sports science, Anthony McElhone applied for that job. It's not as though we headhunted him. It's not as though he was somebody Ange Postecoglou identified because of his work with Jose um, Pochettino at uh, Spurs. Um, and, you know, he also worked for Morton for a spell and he worked, worked in America for a spell. Postecoglou didn't identify him. And again, maybe I'm speculating, but I'd put my neck on the block and say there's no chance Postecoglou identified him. And we were hearing yesterday that uh, from Jared, who said that sports science is massive, massively important, to, and particularly to Ange Postecoglou. So he's maybe got somebody coming in and filling the position, which I guess is better than having nobody, which was the situation since June, you know, uh, we had nobody from June right up until September. So we've got somebody in place. Postecoglou didn't identify him. Then you look at the, the actual appointment of Ange Postecoglou himself. How big a pool were we looking at? Were we just looking at the City Group at that stage? Was it a panic after the Eddie Howe shambles and shenanigans? When we're looking at players, how big is that pool? Is it because of preferred agents that we work with and we know well? It, so the, the, the widening of the pool is diminished 
because we're only dealing with X, Y and Z. That concerns me and that's not the behaviour of a big club, Kevin. No, it's not. It's not. And of course it was a panic appointment. (laughs) There's no other way to actually dress it up. It was a panic appointment. Eddie Howe says no on the Thursday. All of a sudden this guy's getting quarantined on the, the following Wednesday. It is a panic appointment, and it could have been the right appointment. It could still be the right appointment for for whatever reason. But we've got nobody in that building that can give. And Ange might be the right man, but we've got nobody in that building that can deliver the tools for him to be the right man quickly. And and you were probably quite right there when you says of the micromanagement of the last CEO. And there's now guys being left to actually do jobs, and they're gone. What do you mean I actually need to do something now? Because that guy there used to do everything for us. And like it or lump it, there's a massive vacuum left in that football club that Peter Law was not there. It's more decision-making, <laughs> Kevin, isn't it? Like, it's more decision-making than physically doing a job. It's yeah, make exactly. a decision because you're the head of the department and you should be able to make a decision. But they've not had to make these decisions previously. No, they haven't. And, that, and that's been proved, again, in the transfer window, where everything seemed to be d- dragged out. And Ange actually says, I could, when I write my book, I'm going to tell you how many players we just missed out on. So why did, why did we miss out on the, those players? It's because we've got nobody of the ability to work in a football structure. And it is, I, I, don't, I don't think... Uh, right, we should be beating Livingston. It doesn't matter. That team is on that park. It should be beating Livingston, right? We should be beating... We should be making more entertainment to beat Dundee United. You asked me earlier on what what Ange promised us. I I wrote doing entertaining football. I couldn't actually answer it when you asked me the question. But I wrote doing entertaining football. I would rather get... if If we're going to lose games of football, I want to be entertained. I haven't been entertained since the start of this... The best game I was entertained, and for the first 20 minutes of the night I was entertained there, it was like, I'm not entertained anymore, this is, this is getting a bit sore. Uh, but we've got, we've got nobody there. And if, the, the, if Anne's Postacoglu's reign, reign is a short reign, I fear what comes next. I really do fear what comes next because the, the structure change is not there. Mm-hmm. So wh- whoever's coming in is either going to be somebody for the Scottish League because the Celtic job is still a massive job to anybody that's managing in Scotland outside, outside Rangers or it's going to be somebody that they know or somebody for the City Group. And of course, Angie's came for the City Group. That's that's where that's came from. And it's... How, how many other folk after Eddie Howe knocked us back? before they got to Ange Postacoglu. That's a good question. And, and, and that is not me being disparaging to Ange. That is me just being a realist gone. As soon as Eddie Howe says no, there was a panic button pressed. And the, the panic button was, we can't let this go any longer if we have a name. And because we've got season tickets to sell. Because we've got season tickets to sell. And also, back to my favourite my, my favorite subject, the board have now got our money. They've now got our season ticket money. They've now got our Europa League package money. So they can do anything they want until they have to come with the begging bowl to us again. When you said it was your favourite subject, I thought you were going to talk about the KLF there for a second. Uh, now, well, that's that's, that's a, another one. That's a, oh, can, I, can I also say that Kevin's cat Pierlo is making some great comments, by the way, 
We should, we should maybe get his car on. Aye, <laughs> excellent. Speaks more sense than me. <laughs> Pierlo, like it. Stephen Kreber, he's looking as exacerbated as most of us. Uh, would any of you bring back Beaton and place a turnball? I know he's not got the legs, but if you put Beaton in the six and move Kalmak into the eight, the reason I bring it up is there is a discussion to be had. Tony has already given us. And by the way, Aberdeen and Earth are no, are, have been no great shakes this season. And a lot of people, because we have the state of Scottish football that runs on a weeknight at six, we've got Aberdeen fans on there giving us their take on the Stephen Glass scenario. Aberdeen are not doing particularly well. But what they do have in Brown uh, and Fergus and Tony, as you quite rightly said, is they've got an engine room. And that engine room is going to be up against Callum McGregor, who could run the hind legs off of anybody. But he can't do the job with two men. And this is the issue. So who do you play alongside them? Um, if I was to choose either Turnbull or Beaton at this moment in time, I would still go for David Turnbull. Now, I know that some people after Thursday night might disagree. I just think that he is more consistent. And by the way, none of the two of them are consistent enough, but he's more consistent than Rogic. And Rogic's on the bench and you can bring him on, etc. So that's what I would do. But alongside McGregor, um, the suggestion from our listener there, uh, Stephen, is that it, it should be beat on. I'm more inclined to still go for McCarthy uh, tomorrow because I think that there are physical elements of his game, Tony, mm-hmm. that uh, coming up against Ferguson and Brown tomorrow yeah. would hold us in better stead. I think you play, a, again, I'll go back to it, a horses for closest team, right? McCarthy, McGregor and Turnbull, right? Turnbull is... Well, for him, but I still think he can produce a set piece. You know, he can shoot from distance and they are weapons that are important in football as well at this moment in time. You know, McCarthy in there to try and combat Brown and Ferguson, a wee bit of dig and McGregor to do his thing, just be Carl McGregor. My heart sinks when you mention Beton's name and it's not Beton's fault, but he's just synonymous with last chance saloons, isn't it? You know, you're in a you're in a Champions League qualifier, Beaton plays at the back, he's you just have no hope or no faith in what you're doing or, or, or getting a result. Beaton comes in when it's like well, you know, what we're hoping to get a result, but hey, he can be a convenient scapegoat if we don't. You know, and he also lets you down on a big occasion as well, Beaton. So I would have Beaton nowhere near that team tomorrow, personally. So it's no Beaton's fault, just Fair enough. I just don't rate him as a footballer. You're allowed to say that. That's that's my opinion. Uh, but I would have McCarthy, McGregor and Turnbull in there. And I would give Turnbull a chance to make up for the other night. Because I don't know if you saw the other night. He lay on the floor for ages. And I think it was Ralston, going back to what Kevin yeah. was saying. Ralston was like, get up, get on with it. And he just lay there feeling sorry for himself. Mm-hmm. And his whole game... And his head went out the window in that moment. And it was Ralston that was saying to him, it's done. Get on with it. Come on. And he was slapping him on the back and right. slapping him as he went back. And, you know, and that's young Ralston saying to him, you know, a, a, a boy who's been a former scapegoat to the Celtic supporters. And in that moment, I was like, do you know what, Ralston? Good on you. Yeah, do you know? Because his instinct was probably why to shake him. See, here's you. You know, right? You've made a mistake. Forget it. But unfortunately for Fumble, not only did it change the atmosphere in the game and the crowd, it just affected him because he did spend the rest of the game trying to atone for it and for everything he tried to do right, it didn't come off. 
Mm. It was just, and, and do you know what? She, she in that situation, I'd have been inclined to take him off because we we turned to each other and went, "He's he's offering nothing. He's he's his head his head's yeah. gone. He had yeah. a head gone kind of game." So the manager has to see that as well and say, "Do you know what?" Because the judgment goes, Tony. You know, you're starting to make speculative efforts where you could maybe lay it into Kyogo. Yeah, they tried yeah. to play a couple of, you know, the simple passes, couldn't execute it. They were just picking it off at every turn. So I would have took him off and then said to him, "Look, I'm going to play you on Sunday, but I took you off. You're on good, and you know, I need you for Sunday. I need you to get focused. You know what I mean? But I just kind of looked at that moment with Ralston, and I, I was a big up to Ralston. I thought, do you know what? You've, you, you've stepped up to the plate there and tried to be a leader. And that's what we've lacked. You know, in that moment, say to him, come on, it's not the end of the world. Get on with it. You know, and he just, he, he'd gone after that. He'd have been well taken tumble off in that moment. You know, but uh, I'd still give him another chance tomorrow over Beaton and Rogic because I just think, I think Tumble's got slightly more legs than Rogic, but not much. No, 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 you're right, you're right. I'm going to ask you this, Kev, because Kev McCluskey, that is. Um, I looked at that game and I've seen the fallout on social media and some people are saying, you know, if Kyogo scores a couple of goals and it's all ifs and buts and I get that they, their goalkeeper was particularly good, but I think also Joe Hart made some very good saves. And it was, for me, it was never a penalty. Uh, I don't think that was a penalty. It was very, very harsh. Uh, Turnbull messes up for the first goal. Ralston is well out of position when he loses the ball for the second and the fourth goal. So, yeah, I, I get all this, but I don't live on a what-if basis. I look at the facts of what happened, not if if he saved that, if he scores that. You just can't you can't comment it in football or observe football in that manner because we got beat 4 nothing. So it's not as if it was a narrow 4-0 defeat. It would be handy, I guess, if we had someone to speak to right now who played the game professionally. Callum McGregor's going up to Aberdeen tomorrow. He knows what it takes to get a win at Pataudry. He must be looking at that game the other night thinking, right, if we play the inverted fullbacks, because I just told the rest of the European football we're going to play like this every single game. Aberdeen know how to play us. They're going to rip us apart. Is there anything that a professional footballer might do with the experience of McGregor and the experience of Joe Hart, which says, you know what? Let's play with the fullbacks as fullbacks. Let's play this slightly differently. Let's not play it out of the back. Now, because on the one hand, you're disobeying the manager's um, instructions, but on the other hand, you're more likely to get a good result. Yeah, I, I don't know about that one. Uh, I don't know what you can do. I think this is when you have to do... Uh, well, McGregor's got to step up as being the captain. And um, you've got to have a team meeting with the manager can put forward a, a point of view that the players in the park are seeing that what they've been asked to do isn't can, and they're not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's the solution to it, because in, during the game, I mean, I watch the games as well and never played it professionally, but I do think at times, surely you make another decision here. Surely when you see that the inverted fullbacks aren't working, you go against it and you just become a bit more withdrawn or you play as a that natural fullback, even as a wing back, if you still want to have that attacking intent. But those kind of decisions have got to come from the manager. You can't kind of have this mutiny and go against the manager, mm. um, so kind of publicly on the pitch. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it's got to be, it's got to be all done behind the scenes, I guess. Initially, McGregor's got to step up, own that one as 
the captain is the kind of conduit between the players and the management. But something needs to be done. Something's got to be changed. Because we can't keep on going on with these inverted fullbacks that are losing the ball in the centre circle, both of them 10 yards apart from each other, massive spaces in the wide areas that have just been exploited week after week. It's the same goals we lose every single week. So at some point, that change has to come. And it's got to either come from, say, led by the players, by a team meetings, or Andrew's just got to see it, that that system doesn't work. Well, I'm glad I asked you that, Kev, because I was going studs up and uh, muting in the camp and doing what we like, but you've probably been far more sensible in suggesting that <laughs> a wee team meeting might be uh, useful. Kevin Graham, we've got characters in that dressing room who surely are strong enough to, to pull that together in Forrest, McGregor, Joe Hart, who's obviously the vice-captain at the moment. Um, if that was broached, and we're, we're now, we are speculating, if that was to be broached, then I think you're setting yourself up for a situation where if Ange is to refuse that, then we're in deep trouble because the players have brought it to the gaffer's attention. I mean, last season, uh, McGregor said as much as he probably could without getting into trouble on a few of his post-matches to say, this isn't working, we don't have a game plan, nobody knows what they're doing. So it could be a case of you take it to the manager, but again, if the manager digs his heels in in that situation, then it's probably going to end up as a worse situation. I think the players will have full and frank conversations with the manager. Uh, I think that was the case last season as well. Just it so happened that the full and frank conversations that they were having with the manager was like, we want to leave. And the manager gone, well, we're not letting you leave. And that was, that was the end of the conversations. Um, I do I mean, we can only go with what the players are saying publicly. And you look at Joe Hart and you look at Callum McGregor, both doing great off-the-field captain, vice-captain roles, be saying that they are backing the manager, they back his philosophy, that the players need to be better and the players need to take more responsibility for the way that the manager wants to play. So for me, that think I think the players are very clear that if they if the players turned up to Postacoglu and says, by the way, this is no working, what answer they would actually get? Because it seems it seems to be that Postacoglu's made that extremely says you're either it's either my way or the highway basically mm. is what he says. But we've got a mentality problem on that side. If we go one nothing down tomorrow, it's probably game over. We won't get back into it because the team is so devoid of confidence. And you've seen it over the last couple of weeks when we've went when we've went a a, a goal down as well. But as Tony pointed out. Tony Ralston the other night with David Turnbull trying to drag t- David Turnbull back up. Tony Ralston at the game in Betis, last 15 minutes, dragging us up the pitch. I mean, Ralston's proved to be a leader on the pitch. We can all debate his merits as a footballer all we want, but he seems to be quite vocal and he seems to be quite... He leads mm-hmm. by example at times, and, and a lot of that times are just brute force by knocking the ball and just going and actually getting get the team up, up the pitch. McGregor has got that leadership quality as well, but we need to see a mentality to take from the team tomorrow going to a, a, what, what, what is generally regarded as a tough away venue, but actually a venue we've got a, a very, very decent record at over the last couple of, over the last decade, I, I, would, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, for me, the only, the only part of the 
the team, the only part of the club that can be pulled together very quickly is the dressing room. And I want to see that tomorrow. I want to see them on the same boat, fighting for the same stuff. Glute gives an absolutely entertaining, decent performance. Send us into the the, the international break to have a breath, catch our breath and go, right, we're still X amount of points behind, but it's no over yet. But just give us a bit of hope going into the international break because I do believe that dressing can come together very, very quickly. It's a good point, Kev. A lot of the other points we've been talking about in terms of restructuring uh, are long-term projects, whereas, as you say, you can come together as a team uh, and that morale and that that shift of the mentality that you talk about can happen. And you're looking towards your leaders for that to happen quickly. Uh, Joe Porter, yeah, you're right. When we set the studio up, this was for the, the audio side and through the, the good bit down there, that's where we do all the filming. So the lighting's no great. But, I mean, when I read that, my eyesight's even worse than the lighting, and I thought it said Bobby Davro. But Bobby <laughs> Dazzler, I'll take that, right. But the reason I bring it up is, behind me here, the lighting isn't great, so that isn't really the Tony Green. It's a much better one. Check our socials for it. This is our latest bit of merch that we make available on the website, axom.net, next week. Um, so if you like the jersey and you want to wear this or you want to support the channel, this is one way you can buy a product. It helps the whole thing operate. And that's beautifully embroidered, by the way, the shamrock. This was coined as the political jersey when it was introduced as Celtics away kit back in the 1950s. The last time we ever wore it was in Jimmy McGrody's last game in charge. It was never worn under Jock Steen. Interestingly enough, I've seen a few of them come up on auction and the collar was white. Big John Fallon tells me that the white collars were for the reserve team and the green collars were for the first team. The things you learn. So this will be available next week for 35 bucks on axom.net. And yes, buy it for a loved one at Christmas time. I love it. I think it's great. And Celtic, we waited about 40 years for them to come out with a, a reproduction and we decided we would just do it instead. So there we go. Thank you very much, everybody, for getting involved. This was originally going to be the Axom Cult Bulletin, whereby we had one of our viewers lined up, but there were system issues in terms of the Wi-Fi. We couldn't get them in. We're going to be doing that every single week. If you want to be part of it and join a panel like today's panel, then email me on pauljohndykes at gmail.com. Get in touch on Twitter, get in touch on Facebook. I will definitely email you back. I will get back to you. It sometimes takes a few days, especially if Celtic get beat. Um, and I will get back to you and we'll line it up so you can be part of the bulletin and we'll be putting these bulletins out on a weekend day when Celtic are not playing so get involved thanks everybody for joining us on all the various platforms and thank you once again to the, the panel brilliant Tony Haggerty Kevin McCluskey Kevin Graham for joining us on a Celtic State of Mind Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.